Well, good morning, everybody. And thanks for participating online in the service so far. Love all your comments. Thanks for those who are here contributing. Um, Emily, Sarah, Jonathan, Brandy, Trey, and of course, Aurelia and Fran. You all have done an amazing job. And um, in a way, you're kind of unlike our main character in the story today, which is one of the things I love about uh, the Bible. There are plenty of things I do not love, but there are also plenty of things I do love, which is the honesty of the very human characters we get, like Peter, who says in response to all of his anxiety, all of his uncertainty, all of his problems in life, I'm going fishing. That's his response. That's what he said. That's how he chooses to respond. And the last time we saw him, he was this disbelieving visitor to Jesus' tomb. And the time before that, when we saw him, he was the one who was denying Jesus three times out of fear that the Roman soldiers weren't done with their brutal entertainment yet and they might turn to him. Uh, I don't fault Peter for these things. We imagine we would act differently, but I doubt that we actually would. The setting, as you know, is post-Easter, post-resurrection. And you know what it's like when there's this elephant in the room that you don't really want to address and you, you avoid eye contact and you kind of shuffle your feet and you find things to do like, like at, at that Thanksgiving dinner with family that you don't really want to be at. And so you're like, uh, I'll do the dishes or let me take out the trash or let me go take a walk or it's a good time to clean the garage or whatever. That's kind of what happens here. Peter goes fishing. I mean, there's, there's the obvious problem of Peter denied and abandoned Jesus. But then the bigger problem that he has, and really it's one that all the disciples have, is what now? What now? None of this has unfolded like we thought it would. Jesus is back. Uh, this resurrected Jesus has appeared to us a couple of times. They've had to shift from being the people of Jesus, the miracle worker, and now they're the people of Jesus who's not dead anymore, but we don't really know what all this means, and we don't know what to do, and the Romans are still here. Uh, what now? I'm going fishing. When Emily read the text for us a minute ago, it, it sounded so out of place. It sounded like, this is your response? I'm going fishing? It sounds like Jack Handy wrote this or something. It's just this weird insertion. It's like one of those times when I've been working with new chaplains and ministers in the hospital, and we're in a hospital room, and the, and the patient says to us, the doctor says, I have a month. It's stage four. And the chaplain responds with something like, well, I think the Cowboys might go all the way this year. It's just this radical discontinuity. <laughs> John 20 concluded with saying that the resurrected Jesus was doing all these miracles. And then John 21 begins with Peter saying, I'm going fishing. Was he hungry? Did he need money? Was he like, 
I don't know what to do with my hands. Did he need to clear his head? Because what does all this mean? What does it mean? What now? I don't know what to do. This is their question. And this is probably our question too, right? Our Christian year builds up to Easter and we have this great Easter service and we talk about being Easter people. And it's like, what now? Easter has come and gone. And so usually when we don't know what to do in life, we go to our default. We do what we typically do as individuals, and that's different for each of us. And Karen Horney, she was a prominent early 20th century psychoanalyst. She said that we typically respond to stressful situations in one of three very predictable ways. We either move toward others in compliance, or we move away from others in avoidance, or we move against others in aggression. We move toward, we move away, or we move against. And of those three, each of us has our personal preference, our favorite one that we love to do, and we default to it again and again and again all through our life in every situation, no matter what it is, we either, we, we always move toward people in compliance, or we just run away from things in avoidance, or we just like become this Enneagram eight that just moves against and starts punching and pushing and fighting. And we have this tendency to choose one of those three and do it again and again and again, no matter what the context is. It's our favorite little hammer and everything else is a nail. It's our, I'm just going fishing. So they're out there fishing all night with no luck. And Jesus comes along and tells them to try something else. Cast on the other side of the boat. And it works. And of course, this story is supposed to communicate to us these lessons that it's a good idea to listen to Jesus. And, and as a result of li listening to Jesus, we're going to live a life of abundance and the imagery of remaining in the vine and you'll produce much fruit and, and things like that. And all that's there. But I also hear uh, this message about how we get stuck and we fall into predictable patterns of behavior when really what we need is some kind of breakthrough, some kind of new eyes to see the situation, something other than just falling into our default, I'm going fishing. Recently, this has been happening in my own life. One of my kids has been dealing with a bully and I got permission to use this story, by the way. Hanzelkas are kind of small and we're generally kind natured. And so we're an opportunistic target for bullies, which I think gives us the element of surprise, by the way. But anyways, so I've been watching this go on at soccer practice and I just, I'm getting angrier and angrier. And this is over the course of like several weeks or a month I'm watching this, but I was determined not to solve that problem for him. I would be a coach, not a rescuer, because I want him to be empowered, to be this empowered problem solver, not a helpless victim that things happen to in life. And so I did what every good Jesus following pastor dad would do. And I said, bud, your words are clearly not working. You just got to go straight for the nose. You just got to pop them 
right in the nose and that will solve this problem for you. <laughs> this was my, I'm going fishing. This was, this was my, when you're a hammer, everything's a nail. And he would say to me, dad, I don't know. Can you step in? Can you go talk to this kid? Dad, can you go tell the coach? And I would say, no, bud, I can't step in to solve this problem for you. That, that's not the answer. You need to solve it. And here's what you need to do. You gotta, you gotta earn some respect. You gotta let him know. Just one good pop in the nose, that's it. And he'll leave you alone. And, and I, even, I even went on Amazon and I bought some boxing gloves and we started sparring at home and we started going to a boxing gym and we're gonna get that bully. And then you know, recently I was talking to some friends about it in this community and our plan to help Haddon, I'm sorry, help him feel empowered by solving this himself. And those friends said to me, hmm, we get it that you want him to solve this problem for himself. You're on the right path. But maybe there are other options within that maybe you're a little stuck no 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 no. we got to go fishing there's one solution you know we got to pop that bully in the nose nevertheless they persisted with me they're trying to help me get unstuck from me seeing this one default option they would say stuff like what if what if instead of punching the kid you know maybe uh when the kid does something to him he can act all dramatic and fall down and make a scene and get the kid in trouble you know be be playful that's an option you know like when a soccer player dives to the ground in some exaggerated fashion acting like his leg has been ripped off when an opponent opponent like merely bumped into him and this prompted me doing some youtube research on my part and i discovered this is actually called diving and the germans have a word for it of Schwalben Koenig or playing the king of the swallows as in the diving bird. You've seen it. These guys will hit the ground and like almost roll into the stands and throw their shoes off because they were so viciously attacked. And, and so like one of the ideas from, from the group who I'm consulting, they're like, Hey, we have other options. We, he could be playful about it. He could fall down and make a big scene and get the kid in trouble. Oh, eh. I didn't think that would work. And so then they proposed a different idea. They said, well, if you really want him to handle it for himself, can't he just go talk to the coach himself? Like, you don't have to do it. That's still him handling it. Can't you see, Matthew, we have other options of responding where he's handling it himself. And a light bulb came on for me. I, I mean, it seems so simple. Oh yeah, there are other options. There are other ways of being in the world. There are other ways of navigating difficult situations, even situations that touch like really painful parts of my own story where I want him to act a certain way because there's this parallel process going on. I had to step back. I had to get some wisdom and they helped the light bulb come on. This was my, hey, what if you cast your net on the other side of the boat moment and that's what he did next time we went to practice he I, I stayed in the vehicle he went and talked to coach himself he handled it it was amazing no more issues from the kid i mean 
coach talked to the kid and him together and the kids like crying and stuff. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is like so much more powerful than punching people. And you've heard me say this so many times, which makes the story I just told you a little embarrassing, but a mentor used to say to me all the time, you need at least three options to be free. If you can only see two options, punch the kid or be bullied, then you're not free. You are stuck in a false dichotomy. You're not free. You need at least three options, Matthew, to be a free person in any, any situation. And, and there's probably a reason why like the mentor would always say this to me, that I needed to hear that message. And I, now I'm trying to pass that wisdom on. There's a reason we get stuck sometimes with just two options. Either I'm going fishing or I'm not going fishing. And we don't know where to go from there. And we get stuck in life, which is what's so great about this story is that Peter acts like Peter, despite his proximity to Jesus, despite the embarrassment of riches that Jesus provides for Peter to spur some resurrection thinking, to spur some resurrection being in the world. And yet Peter is still so stuck. I know this is true for many of us in this community at times also. I've had plenty of experiences where you'll come, you'll set up a call or set up a meeting for coffee or whatever, because you want to talk about the way you're stuck in your life. Uh, you're stuck. You feel stuck. You don't know what to do. And so we'll talk. And, and I'll tell you right now what my approach is. My approach is to help you see how you're stuck in a predictable pattern of behavior and to explore with you if there are other options or exceptions so that you can break from that pattern. You're stuck in just the two. We've got to find a third option and a fourth option and a fifth option to where you have some freedom. We've got to find those resurrection options to help you keep moving forward in your life, even if, even if it's at the tiniest, smallest, most incremental level and we have to hold a magnifying glass over it to see it, we can do that and we can say, look, God is giving you other options, new ways of being in the world. Do you wanna step into that? Do you want to practice resurrection? And then, and then when you embody some kind of new behavior or decision-making, I celebrate that with you, that you did something different and unique and new and novel. And we call that breaking through and we call that resurrection because now you have opened up all these new possibilities and ways of being in the world in our story jesus tells them try something else and they bring in a huge catch of fish and you know peter immediately knows that it's jesus and he leaps out of the boat by the way leaving all the work of like hauling in the fish and rowing back to boat he just he left a, all that work for his friends, right? This is what Peter does. He's so human. He always saves his own skin. He always puts himself first. He can't see the forest. He only sees the tree right in front of him. And Peter, the one who didn't know what to do, who felt stuck, the one who just defaulted to going fishing, he sprint swims to Jesus, I imagine, because he finally thinks he's going to get some answers and some direction and some momentum in his life to move in the right direction but jesus doesn't want to talk about next steps 
Jesus doesn't want to give a concrete action plan for what to do next or how to organize the community of disciples and get revenge on enemies and evangelize the world. Jesus just wants to talk about love and taking care of others and how all this is probably going to come at a tremendous cost. That's it. See, the message of the Last Supper didn't seem to stick with Peter. That message of feet washing and here's my body broken for you and here's my blood poured out for you. And look, I'm sharing food even with people who will betray me, but here we are together and I just wash their feet. Jesus would have thought, I, I imagine that these embodied messages of service and communion would have stuck, but none of them did. So instead of a Last Supper, let's try a last breakfast then, shall we? And he keeps it very, very simple. Do you love me? Okay. Just go take care of people, Peter. Well, I feel so stuck. I'm, I'm so unsure. I'm a failure. In fact, look, you, I can't even freaking catch fish anymore. You saw. Do you love me? Go take care of people, Peter. But the religious leaders and the Romans are out to get us and people are laughing at us and calling our movement a failure. Do you love me? Go take care of people. But I don't know where to start. Do you love me? Just start taking care of people. What if we don't have enough? Are you kidding, Peter? Like, did you not just see the fish 153? And some commentators speculate that that number was the number of people in the scared little Jesus community. There were 153 there. That's Some people say that's the significance of the number. And Jesus says, it's okay. If you love me, just start taking care of people. That's it. That's it, Peter. And if you're like me today, bringing it back to 2021, I can feel so stuck at times. And this isn't just about now, like, how do I navigate 10-year-olds bullying each other? I mean, <laughs> this is like at a macro grand scale. When will we figure out how to house people, which is just going to get harder and harder because we have runaway asset price inflation with no end in sight. What do we do about mass shootings? Most of us are, are now beginning to just resign ourselves to, oh, this is just part of what it means to be an American, I guess. What do we do about violence, uh, uh, police violence and police misconduct? Can we even talk about that and say the names of Adam Toledo and Dante Wright and in the same breath, can we also acknowledge that police officers are doing incredibly dangerous work and very likely they, they carry these implicit biases and these subconscious fears of brown and black bodies because all of our minds bear the weight of 400 years of being told we should fear brown and black bodies. We know that the fear part of our brain, it's activated before the rational part of our brain can make decisions. And so we operate out of that subconscious fear part of our brains, which has been trained by 400 years of racism and white supremacy. Can we talk about that whole system as well? And I do think we can hold individual officers accountable. And I do think we can 
blame the entire policing industry and culture and the militarization of that. But I still don't hear us talk enough about how we are conditioned as an entire society to fear and exploit brown and black bodies, starting at the street level with police officers and at the policy level with education and housing and our criminal justice systems. And then at the global level, I don't hear us talking about how all the places in the world that we choose to bomb are typically places where brown and black people live, not where white people live. It's true from micro all the way up. Uh, Peter isn't the only one who's stuck in very predictable patterns of behavior. We all are. And it doesn't take much imagination to see that in a very real way, we sit with Peter this morning, dripping wet, very stuck in repetitive cycles, very stuck in our default ways of being in this world, very stuck in our what now? I don't know what to do now. And Jesus doesn't respond with left versus right ideology or, or what religiously would be appropriate. He simply says, do you love me? Go take care of people. Do you love me? Go be a teacher or a coach that takes care of people. Do you love me? Go take care of people through selling insurance products. I don't know. Do you love me? Go practice communion in the most unexpected and even forbidden places. Do you love me? Go take care of people. I know that's uncertain. I know that's open. But that is an amazing, wonderful place to start. So may God help us. May God open our hearts and our minds. And may we find our way forward as Easter people, as our love for God leads us to take care of others. Amen.